The following is a CNA podcast. I'm Jamie Ho, and welcome back to the Climate Conversations. We've all heard about Greta Thunberg and what she's done to put climate change on the front and centre. She was just 15 when she staged a protest for climate action outside the Swedish parliament in Stockholm in 2018. Now there are hundreds of youth-led movements globally. Singapore had one too. In 2019, SG Climate Rally organised the country's first such rally, which was attended by 2,000 passionate people who wanted greater climate action. COVID-19 may have put a dampener on physical rallies for now, but activists have a powerful medium. Social media, of course. In 2020, SG Climate Rally launched a virtual campaign called Take Back 2050, which invited people to share their vision of a sustainable Singapore. Other activists use social media to break down complex climate issues, promote local grassroots events, and even engage climate scientists in live streams. But how effective are social media platforms in raising awareness and inspiring greater action? How do young activists track their impact? Does their work really convert naysayers, or are they preaching to the choir? With me today is environmental activist Wu Chi Yun. She runs the Instagram page, The Weird and Wild, where she educates people on all things environmental through illustrations, infographics, and more. Jiyun, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, I'm going to get to the first question. Yeah. We've actually seen that you said before that you've always been interested in nature growing up, and specifically, you're a huge Steve Irwin fan. How did you go from being interested in the environment and nature to actively actually advocating for it today, right? For, to all your followers, for example. It was an entire journey considering that I don't think I ever imagined myself to be where I am today. As a kid growing up, my parents used to force me to read the newspaper just to improve my English. The only thing that I gravitated towards were small snippets in like relevant newspapers that they were making me read. And I only wanted to read about animals. And that led me to read a lot about deforestation. I watched a lot of Animal Planet. Steve Irwin was always on seeing other people advocate for the environment eventually got me to think about what I could say and what I could do. So growing up, I was always volunteering, but I think it was only when I was in uni that I decided, you know, why not do something on social media? Because I was a very visual person and I decided to have my hand in illustrating environmental news because I was like, I, uh, you know, I think people have seen enough of ice caps melting, very typical pictures, and why don't I just try something else? I wanted to talk about immediate situation, right. both now in Singapore and around the world as well. Whether it was Greta Thunberg starting her school strikes a couple of years ago, mm. um, young people have always been organizing events on climate change and climate action. We also had our first climate rally in 2019. Looking at COVID-19 though, do you think that has therefore dampened the momentum in terms of activism and engagement, especially if we have Glasgow coming up. Do you think things have changed, firstly locally and then as you look internationally, what's your sense? Starting out in COVID, I was concerned about the kind of attention that climate issues were going to get because at the end of 2019, things started to get a little bit more interesting with more and more youth coming out to talk about environmental issues. And then when COVID came, the imperator surprisingly got even more clear and everybody started to step up, I guess, a lot more in terms of climate issues. And, you know, there were so many new sites now covering climate issues, companies looking to declare net zero, and the kind of coverage I would have never imagined it ever in my life in the past 
Straits Times used to only run like a half pager or less on climate change, and now it's everywhere. I would say that it's been nice to see environmental issues gain momentum, surprisingly, because I don't think people really expected it. And also the fact that I did environmental studies when I was at NUS, and we were always saying, you know, they're going to have no jobs, nobody will want to hire us. And now suddenly sustainability is everywhere. So I was like, this is an interesting time for an environmental studies graduate to be job hunting, to be looking out and to be paying attention to lah. Funnily enough, I've spoken to quite a few environmental studies graduates now on this podcast, so good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually interesting to hear that you say basically the last 18 to 20 months of COVID-19 has in a way accelerated at least action or at least public awareness as far as climate change is concerned. Is that your assessment? Yeah, because I think it's not just about COVID. Unfortunately, I think it's a perfect storm of a lot of things. I remember in early 2020, just as COVID was hitting all of us, it was also where the Australian fires got very, very big. And then after that, there were fires in Thailand. Yeah, The situation didn't really get better. So it's almost inevitable that we're talking about climate change now. Let me talk about, a bit about your work specifically now before I get to larger issues. Just looking at your Instagram page, I mean, you've got a whole mix of drawings and illustrations, nature photographs. The scope of what you talk about seems to be quite large. You have sustainable mm-hmm. energy, fast fashion. There's even something on impact of climate change on beer production. How do you prioritize? There must be a range of issues out there and there's so much to be said. Firstly, yeah, how do you prioritize and which ones are closest to your heart than personally? Personally, I identify as a generalist, which is that I'm interested in everything and trying to find out as much as I can. It was hard for me to pinpoint, am I an energy account? Am I a nature account? I couldn't decide on anyone and I say you know why not I just talk about everything in terms of priority I used to be very reactionary where you know maybe if this is the biggest news of of the day there will be an issue I cover but I started to realize that it was extremely not sustainable in terms of my own energy it's impossible to follow so many things I used to have a board but now I converted it to just keeping on my phone where I note down things that I found very interesting. Uh, let's say if I'm talking about plastic, is there an interesting thought process that I came across or a conversation that I had that I wanted to talk about? So I'm trying to focus more on reflections and prioritizing what matters to me and what I think people should hear. And that's how my content goes out. At the same time, it's also what I think people are interested in because I do get a lot of messages saying, can you explain this? Can you tell me about this? Can you explain that? There's never enough content. Talking a little bit about your style then, obviously you're very visual. I'm sure a lot of work goes Mm. behind it. Do you think the visual style, the visual element helps explain things far better, maybe to a younger audience, a different audience, coming from where I am? Is it easier for you sometimes to write an essay or uh, an op-ed or, you know, if not so serious, something on Facebook or Medium instead of capturing everything visually? Or maybe you think that visual element is the, the best thing and the easiest thing to do for different audiences? visuals are easier to understand certain things because I feel like, let's say the climate strikes, right? You know, it's the one where they document the temperatures of, let's say, the world or a particular country over time. I don't really know how someone can put that into words, like the entire visualization of how temperature has changed over time. 
there are just some things that are easier to explain via pictures or via visuals than over text. I sort of realized that when I was doing explainers on life cycle analysis or plastics, I can give you like a three paragraphs on how the plastic is created, shipped, and then consumed in Singapore and disposed of. Or I can just draw you a one-by-one square Instagram you know, showing you exactly the entire process. And I think you will get there better than sitting down for 15 minutes wondering what all this jargon is. Visuals tend to be a lot more attractive. And it's funny because I'm working on a separate project called Climate Commons where I'm hoping to visualize a lot more things because I think sometimes concepts get too cerebral, too theoretical when we're talking or writing about it. But once I explain it to you using visuals, you very quickly can understand, you know, what exactly is, let's say, carbon cycle or what exactly does circular economy really mean. I see a lot of value in visuals. Humans are naturally very visual creatures. And I think it's easier to digest an image that captures, I guess, a thousand words in this case than reading the thousand words itself. That's a very interesting way to put it. And I definitely can agree with you on a lot of that. But maybe I'll tap your thinking on this too. I wonder whether your intent is to be an activist, to generate action. That's one intent. Then the other intent is just for information, to build awareness, to build understanding. Do you think sometimes the visual versus the written, either one, as you say, has its pros and cons? Because I imagine sometimes the visual element doesn't lend itself as well to nuance and Mm. compromise and trade-offs and one thing balancing off the other, which you may want for understanding and information and not necessarily need for driving activism. Yeah, you hit that on on the head, which is that sometimes it's very hard for me. Uh, Let's say I was doing a piece explaining, you know, when the oil prices dropped below zero dollars and why that occurred and how it occurred. And there were just so many things about the economics of all that, the politics of all that, that I couldn't possibly capture in 10 Instagram slides. Yeah. And I think sometimes I sit with it and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I simplifying things too much? Yeah. <laughs> Will people lose the context? Then you just share things without realizing what's going on. And inevitably, you know, am I spreading some kind of misinformation by not presenting the full picture? So because of that, there are very strong limitations because it's easy for visual things to go viral. And once that happens, you can't really control the narrative anymore. So there is a big con in trying to visualize things because you lose nuance sometimes, even though maybe people might interpret things differently. Whatever things that you don't write out, it's subject to interpretation from anyone that reads it. Lah. That's the eternal conundrum with social media, isn't it? Because on the one hand, yes, that's the most effective medium that we have now. You have the opportunity to go viral with huge audiences, but it's not necessarily the best thing for deep understanding and nuance. I suppose for people like you who do have, I imagine, both an activist slant as well as a need to, or at least you want to help people understand, it can be a challenge using social media, isn't it? Yeah, but I also would like to say that I think there are some things that visuals can capture that words cannot. So let's see, you know, where there are issues that are a little bit more sensitive and requires nuance, such as, you know, emotions, values. Sometimes that also doesn't come across as well over text. 
and visuals when I can play Understand. with colors, yeah. I can play with emotions. I can relate that a lot more on why something is important versus saying that it is important. Coming from someone who loves political cartoons, for example, I think political cartoons yeah. can, can tell you a thousand things which uh, two pages couldn't, right? Exactly. I want to talk about your activism then and what you've achieved so far. Tell us some of the most meaningful outcomes that you've had. Were there moments where you suddenly realized, oh my God, what I'm doing really does make a difference? One Instagram post can, as you say, tell a thousand words and you realize people suddenly understand something. How do these moments come to you and how, what do you feel at that time? There are definitely some posts that do better than others. I tend to use metrics like the number of shares, the number of likes that it gets to understand exactly how are people feeling about content. The ones that are most rewarding is where it leads to some outcome that I probably didn't expect. So say, you know, the Australia fires was a big one, which is that so many Singaporeans started to get very involved, perhaps maybe not directly from what I was sharing, but everyone was talking about it. People in Singapore were like knitting things to send overseas. There was so much organization that I was like, wow, you know, it felt good that perhaps my post could have done a little bit more to send people to certain organizations or efforts that could have helped. To me, that was enough in that perhaps I sparked some conversation that wouldn't have happened. And I think there are some things where I had to debunk mainstream narratives. I think there was a science article that came out to say single-use plastic bag may be more environmentally friendly than a cotton tote. And I just say this, I probably didn't get it all right, but I felt a very strong need to say that is quite misleading and I need to tell you why. And I had to sit down with a chemical engineer friend who brought me down to the secrecy of what the entire article said. And I drew it all out. And people were dropping me messages, commenting, saying, hey, this helped to demystify a lot of the science. That was very rewarding because at least now I know this person is going to be an activist in their own right to tell their friends, hey, you know, this article didn't capture the full picture or this is what you need to understand. Those would be my best moments when people are able to take my resources and use it to be activists in their own right because then the work is amplified. I'm just a facilitator in that process. I'm going to ask you as well, Obviously, when it comes to Instagram specifically and social media in general, you would be reaching a certain population, a certain demographic, right? Mm. Have you ever thought about, you know, do I need to reach out to an older audience, a more mature audience? <laughs> if you do have a message to convey and it's a compelling one, as you can tell from how your audience has and your followers have reacted, do you sometimes say, I wish I could reach out to the older ones? Because sometimes the ones who may need to hear it are there as well, right? I struggle with that because it makes me feel like, am I reaching the right people if I'm just talking to people like my age or younger? I've tried, I've ventured into giving talks to people of different demographics and it made me realize that perhaps my skill set really lies with communicating with a certain demographic that just resonates more with my talking style, my drawing style. And hopefully that will inspire people to do that in their own communities because I wouldn't be the most effective spokesperson for someone older than me. I constantly sit with this and I wonder what else can I do? I even thought about, you know, maybe should I be learning other languages, dialects to be able to convey the message to another crowd? And I think it will always be a work in process. 
I would love to learn to be able to speak to more demographics. But at this point, it's like, okay, I can do what's best, what I'm good at for now. And let's hope to expand this in the future. Yeah, I mean, speaking of which, we saw your Instagram live stream with Dr. Winston Chow, who's a good friend, he's been on our show. Tell us how that came about. And did you think it was important to grow your content, so to speak, to start including these dialogues with experts? Is this something that you hope to grow uh, even more of going forward? Yeah, it was a lot of planning. Okay, okay, it wasn't planning on my part per se. It's quite easy to just be like, hey, Dr. Winston Chow, do you want to get on this? It happened in a matter of days. To me, when I started my account, I felt that when I was learning about environmental studies in school, so much good research and learnings were stuck behind like scientific journals that you have to get access to. And I thought, why isn't it accessible to more people? And jargon-wise, I can convey some of these things in layman terms that people can understand. I don't understand why it's so complicated sometimes. So when the IPCC report came out and I saw that it was 4,000 pages, I put it on Twitter and I was like, is there anybody who can explain this to me? And since you're really explaining it to me, why not we get on an Instagram Live so that more people can benefit from this content? And Winston very quickly dropped me a message to say, you know, let's do this. He's worked on it and he knows it best. So I say, okay, let's get on it. And it was such a great conversation because he explains things so well. And I had so many friends who were working in various industries or schooling who were taking down notes and sending it to their own colleagues to say, hey, this is what happened. Perhaps you should pay attention to this. And I thought like, wow, that received such a great response that I did another one with two oceanographers who explained specific chapters. And I thought I probably would have never been able to do this myself by reading it and translating it. So why not open my platform to experts who are better able to explain this and I can just be the voice of people who don't know what's going on to say, please explain this to me, I don't get it. So I thought that was really fun. All eyes are now towards COP26 in Glasgow later this mm. year. It's, it's a big event for everyone interested in climate science and climate change. Are you doing anything exciting in the lead up to that and during the conference? Uh, I would say that like with a lot of my work, it's very ad hoc and impromptu. I would love to. I have friends who are heading there. And, you know, for me, the common practice is just to say my account is open. Whoever wants to use this to talk about their stuff, get on it. Even live stream it well, whoever's in Glasgow at that point. I'm guessing you'll be following closely, will you? I'll be following it. We plan to send people there to cover it. So maybe you can speak to them. I'll yeah, of drop course. Hint if you're interested. Yeah, of course. I'm open to that. And anything to make this information just more accessible to more people. I'm going to get to you know a last question for you. Obviously, you've been described as an activist. You've also been described as a green influencer. First time I'd heard of that. <laughs> you know, someone who, oh who shapes how people think about climate change and sustainability. Do you see yourself as that? And is that something that you think you want to do for the long term? And, you know, obviously you have a day job. We know that. At what stage do you think, you know, I, I think I want to do this full time. And at what stage would you say I am ready to do this full time? It's, it's worthwhile. I've got a good mm. platform. And I think in terms of your work with NGOs or the government, it could do with a step up. Mm -hmm. Are you at that stage or is that something that you just want to take day by day? In terms of the weird and wild, it's currently something that I will do informally. I am definitely, you know, working on other projects that I will hope to take science communication onto a bigger platform to monetize it so that 
we can just open this to more disciplines, more talent who will be able to communicate better than I can. I don't think I'm the only person who will be interested to do this. But for now on the Instagram page, I see myself as someone who has thoughts on climate issues and have a particular point of view, I always encourage people to not just read my stuff because I clearly have a bias. You can come here for that bias. But to also know that I am in the process of learning a lot of new things, I don't think I always get things right. But I just hope that I can be someone who facilitates someone else's learning Stay tuned on my page on, on whether I'm going to do this full-time. But for now, I'm happy keeping it part-time because I think it allows me to sit and think about what I want to do rather than be forced to have to continuously produce content just so that I can stay alive, you know? Well, that's a great point. But in any case, even now and as you get there, and if you do get there, we'll certainly be in touch. Uh, Wu Yun, it's been Thank great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to the Climate Conversations. Stay up to date on CNA's coverage of climate change on cna.asia. You can also find this and other CNA podcasts on our website and on iTunes and Spotify. The team behind this podcast are Crispina Robert, Lin Su Ling and Aaron Lowe. I'm Jamie Ho. Till next week.